Fuck your mic on. Yeah. Mike is on this time. Episode three, the mic is on this time. I'm right here live and direct. In the mic. Oh, bro, you can't see me on the bench press. You know that. You know that. It's Trev, baby. I'm back. Episode two, I got sabotaged. I'm back. Shout out to all my fans reaching out to Dr. J, letting them know. Nobody could hear me. Man. But Jay, I tell you, bro, I was looking at the stats and uh, our numbers really dipped. Episode two. I don't know if it's because, you know, Apple's still hating on us. We didn't get on Apple. We didn't get on multiple forums yet. But uh, I'm pretty surprised that our, our stats did, brother. What you, what you, what we got to do? Are you not entertained? That's exactly it. Okay. Is not why you were here? Okay. Why they here? Huh. What more do they want from us? Huh. They probably want you to sit up and talk louder. I'm here. Trust. Turn the music up. Turn me down. Cool. Let's go get him again. This time is for the money, my nigga. Brooklyn, stand up. Never been a nigga this good for this long. This hood for this pop this hot. Or this wrong with so many different flows. This one's for this song. The next one I switch up. This one will get bit up. These fucks too lazy to make up shit. They crazy. They don't paint pictures. They just trace me. You know what? Soon they forget where they club. They hold staff from the try to revert. Yeah. But let's get going though. Let's get going into the real episode, brother. You know, it's Women History Month. We appreciate all our lovely queens, particularly our black queens, our brown queens. We're gonna make sure we highlight y'all this entire month with all the episodes we have. And uh, get to it from the block to the boardroom. Absolutely. Happy Women's Month. My brothers, my brothers, I love you. I, love I hate you. to know some of you treat us like lovers. Black car revolt, maybe you can use discover. Define yourself. Do you feel the same way about your mother? Do you overlook our beauty, but you love it on all the others? Hope you teach your daughters all to stay away from suckers like yourself. You don't love yourself. I'm so southern. I was taught to feed the soul with the without hot ovens. Here's a plate. Though your hate come from a black man's struggle. We all in the same shape, so I know I fit your puzzle. Either way, we got your back. We only pray you be our muscle. Strength in the times we all overcome with trouble. Every day we pull it up. Yes. Shout out Rhapsody, man. Rock Nation. That's rap. The name of that track is Afeni, uh, entitled for Afeni Shakur. So her last album that came out, each song is named after adult black woman um throughout history she has sojourn on there she has serena um afeni multiple tracks um that was afeni right there real dope track you guys heard that uh tupac sample rest in peace pop rest in peace pop so even though people hate on his content i mean how could you hate on pop i don't i don't even understand i don't know people out there talking about pop ain't never made a good album hmm we have to take that. We have to jot that down, and we have to pick that up on an episode. Um, but welcome, episode three from the Block to the Boardroom podcast, third episode, third times a charm. Appreciate everybody who tuned into 
our first episode and tuned into our second episode. Um, we have a guest on this episode, good friend of mine, um, very active, you know, one, one of the young men of color in New York City, particularly in the borough of Queens, was very active on the political and the organizational uh, landscape, Mr. James Johnson. What's going on, everybody? Absolutely. absolutely. Just found out I'm, I'm adopting him as a cousin since he's a Johnson. I'm outnumbered, guys. I got two John. I ain't even gonna go there. You know what? <laughs> Not even gonna say that one. Oh, so good. You know, it's 1911. Oh, by the way, Mr. James Johnson is a, a member of Omega Sci-Fi. You know, and the two the two hosts there, Noobs. Yeah, please don't bark. We're gonna put you. We're gonna tie you up and put you outside. <laughs> don't do that. But we appreciate having you here, brother. Amongst anything else, you are fellow black brother, man. We love to have you here. So. With no further ado, Dr. J, you all gave us some good insight into where you were mentally last week. You had a lot on your plate. Um, you mentioned having feelings of being cluttered, um, but you had a good, I feel like, assessment and pathway into how you were going to correct that. Um, a week has passed. Just want to see if you got a lot of those um, assignments and organizational things done and how you feeling now. So uh, mental health check-in. Man, I'm still feeling cluttered. No. <laughs> Uh, I feel better. I uh, got some things accomplished. Still got a bunch of things to do. Uh, starting to feel like, uh, you know, when you're like stuck in the mud, but trying to like pedal a bike, right. trying to get out of it. It just takes a little bit to get the engine but going. You, but you're getting out though. Yeah. You're, you're getting out. Yep. Getting out. Um, you know, reaccreditation is a huge thing. Okay. You know, university um, with your program. So we'll get out of that. Um, and I uh, had a couple of meetings with a couple of people for um, my Black Nursing Association meeting. Uh, with our NIH grant project that we got going on. And those meetings was very good. You know, and I think the key to getting out of clutterness is not only to have a good game plan, but to have a good team around you. And I have a great team around me in both in both situations at LIU and at um, within my uh, Greater New York City Black Nursing Association chapter. So feeling good, um, feeling better, I should say, not great yet, um, feeling better and get, getting there. And I think... Um, over the next two weeks, things are great, greatly improved. I love to hear that, brother. I, I love to hear that despite the fact that there is some obstacles and a burden in place, there's a plan. I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like as long as you have a plan and the determination to see it through, as you mentioned, you already know that you're in the mud. The bike is stuck in the mud, but you're determined and you have a plan to get out of it. And that's what you're actively working on. Absolutely. I think one of the best things I was ever told to me was obstacles are things you see in your path when you take your eyes off the goal. True. To keep your eyes on the goal. True. Shout out to um, Carlton Brown for teaching me that, actually. Dope, dope. What about you? Where you at mentally? Man, bro, um, feeling pretty good mentally right now. Uh, there's a lot going on in the media, but I don't feel like it's really um, affecting my mental. Everything with just... I think I'm just more... I, I think I'm more observing other people's mental. I'm just wondering some of the, in my opinion, some of the mass hysteria going around with uh, coronavirus and other things. But mentally, I'm good, bro. I mean... You know, we out to the A in a few days, uh, Lincoln for my cousin's birthday. Um, wifey flown me out for my birthday. I'm about to be in Chicago two weeks after that, April 1st. Look at you getting flown, getting out. flown out. You know what I mean? Edges laid. You know what I mean? Might get a bag. I'm getting flown out for my birthday, you heard? Getting flown out. You know she's going to take me to Red Lobster, too. You know how that go. Beyonce, Beyonce told y'all queens how to do that, you know? Um, yeah, man. And then, um, one of my, one of my sons is getting married in April in Jamaica. Um, I just finalized that trip, just booked that. So I got a couple of trips coming up. I'm real excited, man. Uh, right now too, if you look on the, the market, I mean, flights are super low. 
one of my friends hit me. He's like, yo, man, you want to go to Puerto Rico? $100 round trip. I was The dates conflicted, but I was like, $100 round trip? The PR? We'll get in that as well when we get into the coronavirus right. segment. But so, look, it ain't all bad. Right. It's not all bad. <laughs> right. It it's what it's bad. what you make it. But uh, Mr. James Johnson, we appreciate you. We appreciate you joining us this week. And, um, you know, as we really push the narrative for black mental health, we um, would like to join 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 us on our, our mental health check-in and ask you to you know let us know brother where are you at mentally what's on your mind what's something good on your mind what's something maybe you feel like you could fix how, how are you feeling mentally right now well honestly um this week i would say uh wednesday or thursday was really emotional for me um when that young brother um got jumped by those cops you know that kind of put me in a different kind of space yep and um <laughs> It was a lot. Yeah. And I think just watching the video and in, then seeing the second video, the second video might have, you know, was really worse than probably the first video because you hear him screaming out saying, help, help, help. Right. And a black man should never, ever be that vulnerable to anybody. And the way it was dealt with, the way that um, we still continue by doing the same thing over and over again, we put a tweet out, you know, and it's kind of like, who's our voice, you know, and who's defending us? And that kind of put me in a space. And then I seen, um, then I seen the, uh, the sister get jumped by the, um, about 15 black dude, t- teenagers, black teenagers. In right. Brooklyn. And I think we'll talk about it later on, but that kind of put me in a, a different mental space. I was really, really upset about it. Um, I didn't really, you know, you kind of try to, how can I? What can I do? Mm-hmm. You know, do you do an emergency town hall, right, for us in Southeast Queens, right, which I've done before, on what to do when a cop stops you? Or do you, you know, we also had a kid that was 19 years old, got shot in Cambria right there. And, um, right there on I remember that two weeks ago. You know, so it's kind of, you know, it's real. It's like, well, what's going on right now? You know, Nassau right. County came by. It was a cop situation, too. Nassau County came. Into into Queens, right? Cambria, right. He came into the, the jurisdiction of the city. Yeah, that, you know, oh, he shot back at him, and this was the middle of the day. Right, you schools know, are nearby. You got, you got Andrew Jackson, Campus Manor, down the block. You got PSMS one forty seven down the block. Right. So imagine how many kids probably seen. Yep. This type of situation. So it, it's just is is this normal behavior? Right. Is this normal behavior in the black community? You know, and I, it's just it kind of t- it put me in a different space. In the mental space, yeah. yeah. So I was a little upset about that. You know, and, um, you know, just dealing with everything, dealing with, you know, and then when you speak to certain people, you got to realize that, um, you know, I, I could work with anybody, but one thing is hard to work with is, is a coon, you know, mm, mm. there's a lot of, speak a lot on of, it. Uh, there's a lot of brothers out here that just house Negroes, you know, just, just don't, don't get it. You know, we're going to talk on it, brother. We appreciate yeah. you on this. Nah, we, we, we def, that's all on our agenda and trust, <laughs> trust where we, yeah, no, nah, I, I love it, brother. We're we going to talk on it. Um, it's definitely on our it's definitely on our agenda. And trust we're upset as well. Um, so I already appreciate you having uh having you here, Mr. James Johnson. We're definitely going to get into it. So first order of business, something that took place this week, Doctor J, that I want to dissect with you. Um, Los Angeles, California, uh, black DA, a black lady. Shout out to uh, the Black Queens, uh, Women's History Month. Jackie Lacey. Um, not going to get into the details, but she has. Some controversy, as any public figure does, 
and particularly the Black uh, Black Lives Matter movement has a few bones they want to pick with her. Rightfully so. Nobody does the. I, I, I haven't. I'll be honest. I haven't done the full depth of due diligence to know everything that she's doing and what may have caused some controversy. What may not. What what may not have caused controversy. But here's something that we both saw that we discussed and we're gonna bring to this forum right now is the fact that members of Black Lives Matter thought that it was a good idea to show up to the Lacey residence at 5.40 a.m. in the morning, banging on drums, demanding to have a meeting with Jackie Lacey, the district attorney of Los Angeles County. Now, Jackie Lacey herself, I don't know if she was asleep or what, doesn't come to the door. Her husband does. Mm -hmm. And my man come out holding. Gun. gun drawn and he's he doesn't point it he doesn't point at anybody but he he's he got it like in his hand pointed downward he's letting them know like listen there's gonna be no meeting right now and you need to back off of my front porch and 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 it's it's just a level of like gall and entitlement because um then the Black Lives Matter folks, uh, black people as well, you can see them college educated, um, just based on, you know, maybe I'm stereotyping, but just on like their tone of voice. But they come with the entitlement victim uh, approach and start saying, you know, do, do you really have a gun pointed at me? Do you really have a gun pointed at me? So let's dissect this, brothers. You're on private property at 540 in the morning. So here, here's my thing. First, I'm, I'm laughing because the video... The video is hilarious, not because somebody is pointing a gun at somebody, but it's hilarious because do you know how angry you would be if somebody woke you up at five o'clock in the morning? Right. Right? Like it's is as somebody who has children, right? Who has a small child, if you knock on my door at five forty in the morning, we gonna have a huge problem. Like if you wake my child up, you wake my family up, we gonna have a huge problem. Right? So like I get his anger in coming out and pointing a gun at them, right? Like, he's like, yo, I don't even know who y'all are. Like, get back up off my porch. Right. Right? Like, he didn't know who who was when he's he's probably half asleep. Um, the same way, like, I get Black Lives Matter being upset and feeling that their voice have not been heard or their demands have not been heard. So, therefore, we need to, they need to address that, right? Like, they feel like they need to do something. But I also think that there's better ways to go about it. 5.40 in the morning is not one of those ways to go about it. You're not going to achieve anything. Right? Like no it's, way. It's, 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 you're not going to get anything but get somebody upset and angry and frustrated. You know, so you also got to start thinking, are you doing something for results? Are you doing something for attention? Mm. And sometimes those are two very different things. Absolutely. Right? Like Absolutely. Results re- require a lot of strategic planning. Right? Attention is, is simple. Do something. Get a reaction and capture it on your telephone so therefore you can put it on social media. Right? So if their goal was attention, then you know Okay, you got, you got that, right. If your goal was to get action done, you probably got pushed down a lot. Right. Right? Because at this point, they probably don't want to have a meeting with you at Exactly. Home. Exactly. Appreciate that insight there, Dr. J. Another thing that came up this week, um, let's talk about black women coming to bat for other black women, uh, the whole black community, but particularly black women, uh, there's a company that makes um, organically created, um, organically manufactured, I should say, uh, female feminine products named Honeypot. Now, Honeypot is uh, founded by a black woman, Miss Beatrice Dixon, 
and it's sold exclusively at Target. They have the deal with Target. Now, Miss Beatrice Dixon, she does an interview and she mentions how it was very important for her to start this brand um, for young black girls to see a successful brand that um, that 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 serves that manufactures feminine products that's created by a black woman and uh, what she feels like it can do for black and brown women. Um, for some reason, anytime black people tend to big up one another or empower blackness, for some reason that's seen as one and the same synonymous with anti-white. Never really understood why pro-black um, is seen as anti-white. But Miss Dixon receives a huge backlash online. Um, the company's racist, and that's a we'll, we'll get into that topic because part of uh, racism equals power structure. So you can't be racist if you if you're not a part of the power structure. But uh, you know the company's racist. This that we're no longer going to support them, and a, a lot of just internet traffic to try to uh, tarnish the name of the company Honeypot. It was observed. It was noted. Black women went to bat. Sold out all the Honeypot products on Target. Shout out to the black women for doing that. So all the all that all that attention that uh was garnered actually did honeypot and actually helped because now people who you know may have still been using other companies uh feminine products who weren't even aware of honeypot said, you know what? I'm purchasing honeypot. And they did, and it was sold out. And it, the, so again, I feel like people don't do enough reading into the backstory before somebody says something, before they react, right? Like they just they just want to start talking about, oh, this lady is racist for making these comments. When you break down why she made these comments, right? And she's talking about black women gets less than 0.6% of investors' money, right? So if you're getting 0.6% of all of the investment money, all of the investment capital, then you have to succeed. Because if you don't, whoever comes up after you that does anything that's similar to you they are automatically going to say no, right? Like if, if I'm into lending somebody money or giving somebody money because I think they're going to make a business work, if your business don't work and somebody pitches a similar idea to me, I'm going to have that in the back of your mind. All right, that, so that's the barometer. Her, yeah, She's saying in order for other black and brown girls to succeed, I need to succeed. I need to make sure that this is a success. Right. That has nothing to do with any other race or culture. Or putting them down or, yeah. If... If uh, if an Asian girl came out with um, a Chinese line of products that she felt was specific to them in a skin tone, and was like, "I need to, su- I need, I need to, this to succeed in order for other Asian girls that come behind me to have a chance and succeed and understand that they should be invested in," then I would have been like, "Oh, that's dope. Right? I can understand that. Right? Like maybe I would have even, you know what? Yo, let me just throw out twenty dollars to help you here. Let me throw out fifty dollars here." You know, like, I may not need it, right? Like, I'm not going to use it, but in order to say that you're doing something for the generation coming behind you, that's great, cool. But don't tell me that this person is trying to look out for the generation coming behind them that's already disenfranchised, right, disempowered, and also telling you that they're take, they're being taken advantage of because they don't even get an equal consideration in investment capital, right? Right. Mind you, the black dollar is very big and very... Um, it's profitable for organizations where people invest a black dollar into the into their market. Right. Right. So it's not like she doesn't know what she's talking about. But I'm 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 happy that the black woman responded on Twitter and I, I think that's very dope. Spot on. James, anything on that topic? Well, I think black women always hold each other down. 
You know, I think they they always they always they always pretty much uh, <laughs> you know make sure they're active amongst the, amongst issues, um, especially in the black community. You know, so it's not something new. It just shows the leverage that we have in our community, and I'm always happy to have black women. You know, when I go to Coldstone, I only get chocolate devotion. Okay, so uh, that's for those fellas out there that like to dip in those other flavors. You know, stick to chocolate devotion because they they hold you down. You know, and I I really, you know, love that as Women History Month, and uh, you know, every month is Black Women History Month. Right? Absolutely, so, you know, absolutely, brother. We just have to play that game and give it to March, right? Yep. So, I mean, yeah, Jay, I mean, and James, thank you. I, I think you brothers hit it on the head. I mean, and even looking at it from an economic perspective, right? Like how many self-startup, I'm not referring to other companies that may have been started by black women who are already successful in other business endeavors, um, outside of maybe companies like Carol's Daughter and what have you, how many self-startups have really reached such a level of um, economic success? So what she's saying is, is, is rooted in fact. She knows you know, the importance of her business model, her business being successful and what it will do for future women of color, um, black and brown women who want to start similar businesses. And not only that, just the representation, just knowing that, you know, you're buying, um, you know, feminine products made by someone who looks like you, someone who thinks like you, someone who's aware of things that may be specific to your specific type of skin and things of that nature. And just really blows my mind that, somebody could hear that and think that that puts another race of women or just another race of people down. Um, it's 2020, man. We, we gotta, we gotta get past that. Gotta do better. better. And, and following that, um, you know, RIP my pop, big Trev, man, longtime Nick fan. He loved the uh, legendary Bernard King. He loved Patrick Ewan as every Jamaican in New York did hall of fame Senator held it down. John Starks, Charles Oakley, you know, Anthony Mason. It was it was a great era when I was a little kid watching Knicks games with my dad. Um, and we've fallen a long way from that era. But there's been a brother from the county of Kings, your borough Jay, who's been very loyal to the Knicks franchise despite it all. And that's um, acclaimed and wonderful film director, Mr. Spike Lee. Spike Lee has been not a regular season ticket holder, but a court side. We're talking about the most profitable NBA franchise in the NBA, the highest ticket prices in the NBA. Right? And Spike Lee has been sitting on wood courtside for 28 years. Devaluation with that, with inflation taken into consideration, is Spike Lee has spent $10 million over the past 28 years on Knicks tickets. Right. And treat it like <laughs> and treat it like an errand boy. And like anyone else, if you're from New York, if you love New York, and I I I'll be honest, I'm just from that. I, I I like different players in different markets. I have a couple other teams, but I'm a firm believer of whatever city you from, you're supposed to root for the the team that they they and maybe that's been lost because the Knicks haven't been that good for a while. But I remember when I was a little kid, I felt like when I saw dudes like Mason and those guys, like they seem like New Yorkers. And I think that's why my dad liked them. Like they had a New York attitude. And we've probably fallen from that. But uh, you know, New York, rightfully so, has been very upset with James Dolan, the owner, and and Knicks management. It's 
We're not really, you know, it doesn't say we're making the right decisions. Seem like we just more so care about profitability than being, you know, competitive and winning. That's probably why this whole new generation doesn't even care for the Knicks. And I think rightfully so. It's fair to love a team the same way you got a friend. If you want what's best for the friend, you give them honest criticism. That's not a, I want to see you do better. You need, you know, and uh, Knicks fans have been doing this. Charles Oakley did it. Charles Oakley, everybody knew him for his defense and just his, you know, uh, strength in the post and his aggression in the post. And, you know, Charles Oakley made a public statement about the Knicks. You know, Mr. Oakley came to the garden on his own dime at that. And I personally feel like a former Nick player, especially a Nick player like Oakley, should never have to pay to go to a Knicks game. He's supposed to get the red carpet treatment. But that's neither here nor there. He had paid to go to a game. It was a, it was alerted to Mr. Dolan that Charles Oakley was in the uh, arena. And Mr. Dolan made sure that security had him escorted out of the arena. And he was also arrested because there was framed to say that uh, he was, you know, getting loud. And of course, you know, as a black man, he was getting uh, untankerous and frightening to the security. Right. Charges were later dropped. Spike Lee, 28 year season ticket holder. You know, he usually holds it down for the Knicks, but he hasn't shied away from sharing his views as well. All of a sudden, this past Wednesday. Is a 28 years he goes to the employee entrance on 33rd Street and 7th Avenue. That's always his entrance. Always his entrance. Always his entrance. 30, uh, 20, I'm sorry, 28 years, always his entrance. He even used the entrance up to the night before for a different event that was at the garden. It wasn't a Knicks game, but it was a different event. All of a sudden, this night, he goes into the and he scans his ticket. And he's told that he can't come up to the elevator. Long story short, he's been coming there for years. There's security that works there whose older relatives, whose dad's uncles work there. They they work there now. They don't spike. You know, they pull him aside like, listen, this is coming from up top. Not sure what's going on, but come with us. We're going to take you to a different way, and we'll personally walk you to your seat, Mr. Lee. Like, we just, we're told that we can't let you go through this particular elevator. Spike doesn't trip about it. Says, you know what, brothers? Do what you got to do. I understand. It's your job. They do that. He's at his seat around halftime. James Dolan approaches him and says that uh, they have to speak. Spike's not interested in talking because he, he, he knows this whole thing is orchestrated by James Dolan, the owner. Um, and he's just not interested in talking to him. And I'll be honest with you. I think, fellas, this is my final show at the Knicks. Um, until James Dolan sells that team, I can't see myself being a Knicks fan anymore. Because this is the second time that I've seen a black man who was it was integral to the culture of the Knicks, right? Although Spike was never an athlete. When you think of like LA, you think of Jack Nichols. When you think of Knicks fans, Spike Lee's the first person you think of from back in the day with him and Reggie Miller getting into it. Like he's he's the most animated guy right there on on court side for for, for years. He's Right, he's our Jack Nicholson. Since I was a little kid, I'm 30, I'm turning 31 in a few months. And to see him disrespected in that way for simply just voicing discontent. And let's be real, the discontent's all over the city. This is not a minority opinion. We have not been relevant for years outside of maybe that little stint we had with Melo, but we have not been a real competitive team in quite some time. To see that, in addition to what happened with Charles Oakley last year. This man, James Dolan, he owns the garden on top of that, too. He's one of the few, if not the only owner, who doesn't pay rent. B 
because he owns the arena, which his team plays in. He has no interest in selling his team. He's probably not going to sell his team. He's loaded in dough, and his ego is above him. And uh, my favorite phrase right now is one thing I hate to see it. Hate to see it. And honestly, I'm checking out of the New York Knicks until James Dolan sells that team. Well, here's the thing. Um, the Knicks has been have been moving like this and have this reputation uh, since Free World. So how they did Sprewell, um, that changed the whole perspective on how the Knicks are operations is behind the scenes, administration-wise. So Sprewell was that extension of the 90s, right? When we got Sprewell, Sprewell, you know, he choked his coach out in Golden State. PJ Colasimo, I remember that. You know, we said uh, nobody else wanted him. We said, New York, we want him. And the way they did Sprewell was, uh, was very suspect. And that's the reason why they brought Sprewell back after the Oakley incident. I don't know if you remember. That. I do remember that actually. That was that was because they did Sprewell so dirty, you know. Um, and they just don't take care of their own, you know. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I was trying not to fall asleep because I hate the Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> Grew up in New York, by the way, guys. That's what I'm talking about. Brooklyn boy. Grew up in New York. So hate you, the Knicks. You're a Knicks fan. And uh, I'm gonna tell you why I hate the Knicks. Um, I feel like in New York, we have a culture of being the best, mm-hmm. right? Like you, like we want to be the best at New York doesn't compete to be the best of America. They compete to be the best of the entire world. Absolutely. Right. Like that's how we are as New Yorkers. It's either everything or nothing. And this and is I why we upset. Like the Knicks have been allowed for decades to just be mediocre. Right. Since and, the nineties. And, and with them being mediocre and not winning championships, People still support them at a high level. And I think the majority of their support, in terms of people who actually buy tickets and go to the garden, like the garden is overly expensive, right? The garden is essentially, it's the epitome of Manhattan. So you get all these rich um, Wall Street workers, buy suites, do everything. And then now they suck, but these people will continue supporting them. So if I'm Dolan, why would I sell the team? You're going to support me anyway. So it's crazy that this happened to Spike and you think him being such a, a model, not just in the game period, but in Nick's culture, as y'all stated. But again, so if Spike leaves and does not renew his tickets, right, Dolan has a bunch of other people to pay that $300,000 fee and replace Spike. Because exactly. people still foolishly support the Knicks, even though that they are losers, which again is another reason why I hate the Knicks. Well, I think there's more to it. I think, and, and and you spoke about it to me before too. We spoke about it. I, and the reason why the Knicks, despite not being relevant, continue to be the most profitable franchise is the business aspect. It's New York City. So, okay, Spike and him fall out. Spike doesn't renew. Other people are still going to support. Chase Bank is still going to be the major sponsor. Goldman Sachs is still going to have all the corporate suites. They're going to have their business meetings there. It looks real impressive. Someone's in town. You take them to the Knicks game because the garden is so famous. You know, like it's all these things that don't even have anything to do with basketball. That that is is what keeps that arena selling out and 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 being where it is. But I don't really care for none of that stuff. From for the from the culture and from a basketball perspective, they're done in my book. Because clearly he doesn't care about any of that. He just cares about his checkbook. And the reality is his checkbook is fine. He's not what's what's his incentive to change? He's fine. He's fine financially. He drop those ratings for their games. Yeah. They just start changing. Maybe people start dropping the money that they're gonna spend in ads on television when because people aren't watching. 
right? And and when you start having Knicks games when it's not completely sold out, people will start paying attention. Hopefully. Until then, they'll keep doing this. But, you know, this is how your Knicks fans like it. Well, this guy right here, you heard it. You heard, you heard, you, you, you heard it here. He is not playing right now. You heard it here. This New Yorker, Trev, I'm no longer a Knicks fan. Till James Dolan sells that team, I'm out. Culture over a team. Believe that. Welcome to the small side, my brother. So let's keep the New York news going on from the block to the boardroom. James, you spoke about this earlier. Um, and this was very reminiscent of the incident that I had with the 105th Precinct um, in St. Albans, Halloween, I want to say 2005, 2005, yeah, 2005, 2004, around there. Um, and really forever augmented and shifted the way that I viewed NYPD, amongst other incidents. But this one really shifted the way I viewed NYPD. Um, a young man, 20 years old, Fitzroy Gale, was um, leaving a park on his way home from uh, work, getting ready to go to his second job later on that evening, his night shift at uh, FedEx. Uh, this video went viral, and he was stopped by a uh, plainclothes, not a in-uniform officer. Um, I feel like with pretty clear diction um, and in a relatively respectful tone, he tries to understand why is he being stopped, what's going on, who is the officer even? Like, as I mentioned, the officer is not in uniform. Uh, the officer uh, holds him against a wall until uh, the rest of uh, backup or his, you know, his, his colleagues, if you want to say, um, come on the scene. And pretty much at that point, all hell breaks loose. And I think for all of us, particularly uh, members of the black community in New York City, um, particularly us black men, who have maybe had some incidents with the NYPD as teenagers, it was very hard to watch. It uh, hit a very real bone for us because we've seen it one too many times. Um, give thanks, Fitzroy did not pass away in this incident. He's still living. Um, his mom, a member of the National Action Committee, and his lawyer were on Channel 11 News, WPIX, on Friday morning to talk about it. Um, and he was charged with um, possession of marijuana and resistant arrest. All, yes, although marijuana was never found on him, actually. Brothers, let's unpack this. This is this is heavy. This is a lot. The video went viral. Um, there's a lot that's going on here. Uh, Dr. J, I'll start with you. Um, so let's 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 get the con contradictory questions or devil advocate questions out of the way. Because people love to say things like, uh, if you'd have just complied with the officer's demands, none of this will happen, right? Like, why do y'all keep talking about back to police officers? And here's my response to that, right? Like, let's just, let's address that head on straight up from the front. I am sick and tired of people saying, why did you not just comply with the officer's demands, right? If you are doing something to me that is illegal, I should not have to comply. If you grew up in a town where you were stopped and frisked for no reason, just because they felt like it, after a while, it gets aggravated. It becomes annoying. Majority of the people making these comments about, oh, just comply, has never had to be in a situation with police officers where you had to just comply, right? And they don't have to go over it consistently, right? This is a man that's 
was whether he was chased out of the park or whether he was not, it was over marijuana. Marijuana is decriminalized in America, right? It's decri- I'm sorry, it's decriminalized in New York City. He's well aware of this fact. It's also a person who the plainclothes officer has his forearm in the man's chest pinned up against the wall, right? He's also asking him, why are you stopping me, right? Why are you keeping me here? The officer is supposed to let you know why they are doing this. When the friend asks, is, are you being detained? Or are you detaining him? The officer does not answer. All of these things are legally supposed to be addressed, right? Are you detaining me? Why are you detaining me? None of these things was addressed. In fact, the only thing the officer did was stop moving and then pulled out his taser in, in response to the kid moving around, right? Have you ever had an elbow in your chest post up against a wall? And, and, and let's clarify, not necessarily moving around, maybe like arm motion or trying to ease himself out of an uncomfortable situation, but... It wasn't moving around in terms of like trying to get out of, you know. Yeah, but, just... but but even if he was, if I put my arm from a from a healthcare professional perspective, if I put my arm on your chest and I push your chest up against the wall, right. it's going to start becoming difficult to breathe. To breathe, absolutely. Because your chest needs to expand and then decompress every time. Absolutely. So if I have that up against you, and this is a cop that's a grown man, right? This is a kid that he was either eighteen or twenty days, twenty twenty year old one, right? It is harder to breathe because I'm forcibly keeping you here. I'm going to move. It's my natural instinct so I can survive, right? And then you have all of these officers come, pull him down to the ground, right? Mind you, the rest of the officers wasn't saying you're under arrest. And then they got his knee in his back trying to get him to lay down, right? And trying to struggle him. And then what got me real upset, right? Because I think this is extremely, and let me use this word, I think this is extremely pussy for the other cops to start stepping on his ankles while he's on the floor. You know how pussy that is, right? Like, this man cannot defend himself. You have 10 officers plus more trying to get him. He's already on the floor, trying to turn him over. And in the middle of them trying to do that, right, even if they was in a right situation where this man had did something extremely wrong and you had the officers struggling with him, right, for you to be on the sideline on the peripheral and start stepping on a man's ankles while this is going on, it's beyond pussy. You do not need a badge if you're going to do this, right? And you also got to understand the, the temperament of where this took place. This took place in Canarsie, Brooklyn, where it's a predominantly residential neighborhood of a bunch of houses, right? Also understanding, I also have my own experience with, with cops from this same neighborhood, right? Not too far, a couple of blocks over there while I was at work as a nurse practitioner serving the community. We get pulled over for making a left turn. We're on Glenwood. Uh, I'm sorry, we're on Rockaway Parkway. We make a left on the Glenwood. Cops pull over, and I'm not paying attention. I'm reading a book. I look at my driver, and I ask him, did you do something illegal? He's like, no. I'm like, all right, cool. Just pull over. But pull over here in front of the barbershop with his cameras, right? Always. So cop, always do that. Always do that. Cop starts walking down. So I'm looking at the cop walking down towards him, and then something tells me, let me look at the cop coming towards me, right? I look over, Asian cop, plain clothes, detective, got his gun drawn, wa- walking towards me. This is the middle of the day. This is like noon, right? A weekday. So they come and they and, and I'm like, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because the officer's like, what are y'all doing in this neighborhood? I'm like, is that why you pulled me over? To ask me what am I doing in the neighborhood? Because that's not a reason to pull somebody over, right? And he's like, oh, you, you talk a lot. And I'm like, first of all, is it necessary that your partner has his gun drawn before he even got to the car, right? So the cop is like, yo. You, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm a nurse practitioner. I'm seeing patients, 
right? So they're like, yo, do you have any identification? I'm like, besides this big ID badge that I wear around my neck over my jacket so people like you can understand while I'm in communities to not rough me up and throw me up against a wall or pull out a gun on me like you're doing now, right? And the only thing that got me out of this situation is because I had a PBA card. When I opened up my wallet and they saw my mom's badge, they was like, the, the cop by my driver's side banged on the hood and looked at the Asian detective and was like, don't do this. Don't do this. And the Asian cop looked at him and was like, all right, fine, y'all have a good night and turn around, uh, y'all have a good day and turn around and walked away. But this is the kind of temperature of what people are doing. Right. Right? Like you just pulling up, young man is with his hands in the air saying, why are you stopping me? Why, what did I do why, wrong? What am I, what am I doing wrong? And you're not going to give him the courtesy of answering this? One of the things that police have on their cars on every vehicle is professionalism. That's part of being a professional. I don't walk into nobody's house when I'm seeing them as a provider and not introduce myself or say what I'm doing. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy, man. I could go on for all day, but I'm I'm going to let my good cousin come over here and talk. Well, here's the thing, right? The first thing I have to ask is, what is resisting arrest? I heard the commissioner, NYPD um, commissioner, say, you know, we don't want nobody to resist arrest. So, it's, you know, remember when your mother, your pops, they beat you with a belt, right? Did you sit still? No. You like, just absolutely just sit there <laughs> and just, just there? and not and not move and not move an inch, just right? Like, numb? Or did you That's kick true. and scream, you know, and, and, and yell and, 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 so what is resistance arrest? Like this man had his hands up. And and maybe they want us to be so numb and so vulnerable and so um passive to where we don't move at all. Beat the living shit out of us. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. No, go ahead, bro. Beat the living we keep shit it rated all in here. Right? And then, you know, we don't do anything, we don't move. Then for the third thing for me, you know. What makes a cop so urgent to run at you? Like, what did he say in the, the walkie-talkie to make eight officers run at this guy with Full his speed. hands in the air? Full speed, sprint. Full speed. With a phone in his hand and nothing else in the other hand. So, for me, when I did the event in 2017, uh, what to do when a cop stops you? I know one of the things they said, you know, are you being detained? So if you're getting arrested, Dr. J, and I'm over here saying, are you being detained? The office don't have to pay no mind to that, right? So you have to, you actually have to ask the question, am I being detained? So on the on the on the video, when I watched it, Lord, I mean, I don't know how many times I watched it. He didn't say anything. He didn't say because those are key words you have to actually say right. to make them move a certain kind of way. It's crazy because they, they they have to, when you go back on record, you go, did, did they say this? You know, like the Miranda rights, right? Did you say this? You know, and am I free to go? There's certain key words you have to ask with them. We're not justifying it at all, but it makes them, you know. It forces them to respond. Yes. Right. So for me to see his hands up in the air, 20 years old. For marijuana? The whole city is now in that type of time no more. Right. Like, you can go on the app right now and, and roll up in front of a cop. You get a summons, 
Or if you go get locked, you coming right back out. Absolutely. Like, so that's your justification for marijuana? So it's funny because the councilman Richards, Donald Richards, actually said, he, he tweeted at Commissioner Shea, like, really, bro? Like, we, this is what we're doing? Or for marijuana stop? You know, so because that that's shocked. I think Al Shopton even said, you know, marijuana is the little cousin of stop and frisk. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right? right? The marijuana stops. is, is the, the marijuana summons is the little cousin of stop and frisk. Because if they smell weed, that's their probable cause. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of times they just lie about smelling weed. Of course. Absolutely. We know, we know that, right? You know, we'll get back to what that looks like, you know, how they've been lying. You know, 105th Precinct led the city for seven years for leading the city in marijuana summonses. I think it was like 1,600, uh, and the next was like four. That's crazy. Had that multiple, I had that multiple times right seven, here. Seven, multiple seven times at 105th. Leading, yep. leading, leading the city. That's more than Brownsville. That's more than... So let's let's think about this for a second, right? So the NYPD, 105th Precinct, has about 20 minutes response time, right, for a 301 complaint. So a 301 complaint goes in, and we say, Dr. J, um, you're, you're, you're how to, you have a house in Cambria Heights, right, and you smell marijuana. You put that 301 complaint in. So the rationale behind... Uh, the NYPD will sit there and say they get a 301 complaint and they have a, 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 a black individual wearing a white tee, black sneakers, and a fitted hat, right? So their justification for when they were stopping guys for smelling like marijuana was that they had a 301 complaint. Now, let's let's be honest, right? Y'all dated. Let, let, let's, let's think about this, right? How long does it take you to smoke a blunt? <laughs> Not 20 minutes. Not 20 minutes, right? <laughs> right? So we don't have any... Uh, nitrous in in one hundred fifth precinct. Mm-hmm. Let me throw that. In, let me throw that out again. We don't have any nitrous. We don't have any. And let, let them know what that is. That's New York City public housing. New by York the way. City public yeah. housing. Right. So, so you can you can get an idea what the demographic looks like. It's, right? it's residential. It's very residential. Rosedale, Lawton, Cambria Heights, Hollis, uh, Saint Albans. Right. So you're telling me I'm smoking a blunt in front of a a corner store or a house that's bothering you. And I sat there 20 minutes afterwards and and was there when you rolled up. That was a justification of stopping people randomly. And that's how the summons got to where it got, you know, where, where it was. You know, so I think where we're at in this time to see homie get held up like that, you know, it's happening right in our backyard, you know, and, and you know, I... I it's tough to see a brother sit there and get stopped the way he got stopped. How does he feel comfortable walking with a... After this is all over, how does he feel comfortable walking down the street with his girl and feeling like a man? Yeah. You saw that on the, when he was interviewed on... He, said, he, seemed, he seemed emasculated. Yeah. He seemed, he seemed like he didn't want to be. He was so embarrassed. He just asked for help. Help me scream, 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 scream. Right? For help. Because he he was in, he was terrified. It wasn't he was resisting arrest. He was terrified. What is resisting arrest versus being terrified? You're like you know what's going to happen. The officer never said anything. If you try to pat me down or stop me, you have to identify yourself. Yes. And then also, if I ask for your card, your card, or officer have a card where their information is, you're supposed to give that. He did none of that. 
You know, so to see it, and I'm thinking about the traumatic state he's in right now for the rest of his life, when he sees an officer, how do you feel like him? How do you feel like you can protect a black woman next to you the way that happened? Also keep in mind that the, the healthcare... I'm sorry, go ahead, Trump. So just even even going off of that, um, James, I, th I think you hit on some key key mentions, and I, that goes back to a lot of my teenage interactions with NYPD. And you touched on the key thing, and, and we, we like to talk a lot about black mental health here, emasculation. You know, um, I think back to being in high school, and um, you know, being roughed up, slammed against a wall in front of you know, girls, my homegirls, girls I was interested in at the time. Yeah big scene you know everyone sees it you know i think back to i mentioned that that incident on halloween um they have us right off of linden boulevard um in uh st albans just sitting right on the sidewalk sitting on the sidewalk um allegedly there were shots rang off in the area with four guys in a car they're looking for four guys have us handcuffed face down sitting on the sidewalk um waiting waiting until they, they get clearance um and and as you mentioned, and, and I'll be honest with you, you know, went away to Binghamton University, been working in the private sector, in the financial sector since uh, 2011. Those feelings have never left. I don't. And, you know, I have friends and fraternity brothers who are NYPD and, and they are the, the good apples, in my opinion. But overall, I still do not. I still do not have. A overall good view or vibe towards the NYPD. Um, just the other day, I, I apparently had a, a headlight out on my car, and I was even talking with Doctor J. I was like, you know, I don't really think the cops NYPD. I don't think they've ever helped me. Well, I think of like protect and serve. I was like, I don't think I've ever been assisted by a cop. Maybe like I was lost and I was pointed the right direction, or I was like. I, you know, just, a, you know, Cambridge Heights over here, we're homeowners here at this house. Um, it's very residential. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we had an issue. Uh, I have security uh, cameras set up on the property, something my dad had wanted to do last year. We did that, and so do some of the other neighbors. And we happened to see, um, uh, it came up on camera, somebody just going around to the cars, parked in front of houses, and just trying the doors. Not to do like a full break in, but possibly, you know, not to steal the car. See if there's something, see if the door's open. You know, you know, sometimes people leave phones, laptops, and they call if there's something that could just be grabbed and keep it moving, going to the next. And I was even talking to my uh my neighbor who's a retired postman, civil servant worker, and he was just talking about the level of uh, you know, rigmarole he was going through trying to let the 105th precinct know that he has footage, multiple neighbors have footage, and they want him to look further into it. And I'm like, you stress me out when I don't need stress. When I do need your help, you can't help me, you know? And this just goes back to when I was a teenager. I just don't feel like that uh level of assistance is 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 there when it's when it's needed, you know? I I don't feel like I've actually ever I have more negative experiences towards them on a whole than I do positive. And even going off of the marijuana, this is an issue, and I know. The state of California, uh, particularly Los Angeles, feels very strongly about this. New York, we haven't made our way towards this yet. This is what I feel very strongly when it comes to um, medicinal marijuana, recreational marijuana, right? Because 
I know New York, we haven't adopted this policy yet, but I know California, the black community feels strongly about this. It's like, well, if all these corporations are going to get to come into the dispensary game and make all this money off of this, are we doing any retroactive, you know, adjustment to the records of all the brothers who were, you know, put in the county because of marijuana possession or you smell? And then that led to other things of this, that, because as we could clearly see, policing in the black community is still very strong for marijuana. Maybe not in Williamsburg, maybe not in Tribeca up east side, but clearly in the black community, it is. Let me touch on one thing for two seconds. Tell me what practice have changed from slavery that they did with us with black men. It's the same practices. They get us in front of our, our woman, our kids, and make an example out of us. How do you feel like a man after that? You know, what practices have changed from slavery and how they deal with black men? They know that black masculinity is something they can never have. And I think it's, you know, it's beneficial now that we have cameras now on our phones, right? But at the same time, when you see these videos... You're like, damn. That could be traumatic right there in itself. Right. Just watching it. To hear a black, a young black guy scream out for help. Why are you doing this? That's in front of his whole community. He was strong talking. What did I do? What did I do? Now you look on camera, look at his posture. You know, look, look look at his his mannerisms now. He didn't know what to say. Clueless, because he wasn't in the wrong. Because he wasn't in the wrong. So he couldn't even take the defensive approach because it's totally clueless. And I know they said they can't he can't say much because of the investigation, but but just as a just as a man in general, it does not feel good to feel violated. Bro, they used to rape us in front of our whole village. Rape us. White man, they used to call it a, a bucketing mm -hmm, actually, mm -hmm. in Jamaica, ironically, right? And um, they'll take you in front of the whole village and rape you. In front of your wife, in front of your kids. What does that do after after that? How do you feel after that? You know, and, and, just, and just think I'm just trying to throw that out there, what that what that feels like, what that what's the traumatic situation after that? Right. Right? So they're now he gets embarrassed. Think about every woman he meets afterwards, after the situation. How does he approach them as a man? These are the questions I'm having because I'm thinking if I'm in my shoe and in his shoes, how, how do I, you know, be on some manhood type of stuff? And I got screaming. I mean, I'll be honest with you, bro. It don't even got to be NYPD. Just think about... Think about taking a roast in front of your shorty, you know? Yeah. A dude crack a joke on you that you don't really too like. Think yeah. about when we was younger. We all, you know, yeah. we won some, we lost some. Think about when you you got herbed or you or you, or you might have took an L in front of some girls that in your high school, your junior high school. On that, and, and, and this is on a larger level. But think about how that even made you feel masculine. You know, these, these are all things that play a level into, you know, the masculinity in our culture. And I think this is a perfect segue into... Um, our next topic, because the, 
Oh no! All right, no, I, I apologize, ladies and gentlemen, Doctor J. I, I need I need you to shed your gems. I, I didn't mean to shut you out of your gems. So just uh, so two things. One, um, definitely want to say that we we know and understand that it is not the entire police force, right? We know that it's not the majority of the police force, right? Um, however, five to ten to fifteen percent of you can make all one hundred percent of you look like assholes, right? Also understanding that the way that they are is that if something like this happens, right, it's not like the rest of them are going to come out and go, yo, we disagree with this behavior. This should not happen, right? Like, that is wrong. And because you stay silent, you are guilty by association through your silence. And people have to understand that. So if you're not going to talk up for what is right, then you are going to be lumped in with what is wrong. Absolutely. Very important. Um, Which is a good transition into us getting into the next topic and talking about this issue and uh the next topic and and this is another thing you mentioned it james this was hard to watch also and this moved me in a different way because another one of the many struggles we have in our community also comes internally amongst ourselves and this issue um saddened me and what we had is we had a 15 year old girl um in crown heights who was seen uh being jumped by 20 young men Roughly, roughly. Roughly. Could have been more. Um, 20, 20 boys. 20, 20, 20 boys. 20, yeah. Teen, yeah. I don't want to, because we already know the NYPD is going to do that. Um, thoughts. First thing I could even start with disgusted. I'm disgusted to just see. For, for, let, me, let, me, let me even backtrack. The way I was raised, the way I grew up, having sisters, having a strong mother in, in my household. Um, and even the way my dad raised me, um, I never really, not even never really, I do not agree with the idea of a man ever putting his hands on a woman. That's first and foremost. That's the first thing. Um, hurts me to see a bunch of young brothers of color jumping this young sister of color on TV. I'm going to get into a little bit more assessment way, which may be seen as controversial, but I'm still going to keep it honest. I do not think, and this is just my opinion, I do not think that this was a simple act of robbery. When, 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 when I was in high school, I knew a lot of guys who were professionally into what we call catching jokes. They were robbers. Like that's what they did. That's that was a like you have in the inner city, you have men who professionally rob. They are they're strategic about it. They plan how they do it. They know how to get in and out. They do it in stores, they do it in different places. They know they do it on people. They they it it, it it's planned out. I personally don't think 20 high school boys planned to rob her i personally think it's an act of some kind of retaliation for something some kind of beef something is that's more of a that's more of a statement but back to my original point now that i said that the way i grew up the way my generation grew up that's still inexcusable because whether it's gang beef or this community beef whether she violated Whatever the case may be, 
Well, that's what you got homegirls on the team for. Anytime you got to regulate an issue with the young lady, you got your homegirls, you got your young ladies that go deal with that. But it's never you, brother. It's never you that's putting your hands on a female, whether she's in the right or whether she's in the wrong. That's just the way my generation came up. Or whatever, but it's you know what I mean. If 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 you violated my female cousin and she come to me, and you know me and my homies hear about it, that ain't our job to go over there. We getting all girls that we cool with, or her female cousins, and they gonna go right out on her. But we not as young, we not as boys as men gonna put our hands on the girl. Like even though we love our cousin, that's just not our jurisdiction. That's not our jurisdiction as a man to step into that. Now, if that's my little boy cousin, that's a different story. So that right there disappointed in me because I feel like the culture, the code is being lost in the new generation. That's just not how you handle that situation. For me, I think, um, like when I saw it, I started running down the possible, like what, like when they made the, like when they, when they reported that it was for retaliation that something happened, that happened like the day or two before, right? I started running down in my mind, okay, what could have been done to make them act this way, right? Like, did she set up one of their boys to get beat up? Did she snitch on somebody? Did she take from somebody? Whatever it was. And nothing in my mind could justify that, right? Like, they were old Mm-hmm. right? Like, in the beginning of the movie, you see one boy come down, jump fully in the air, and stomp on her with two feet. I don't know if I've ever seen that in a regular fight. With construction. Right? Like, I don't even... And, and then... construction when you did that. Yeah. Not only did they do that, right? They clearly not did all of that, but then they took the Jordans off her feet and walked away. Right? Like, it was like, y'all are just going too far now. Right? Like, y'all are, like y'all are just doing stuff just to do it. Right? And these are the people who... Parents need to be involved from beginning to prevent this kind of stuff. Because this is the kind of stuff that leads to people getting hurt very bad, right? Like if that's your little, if that's your daughter, your little cousin, right? One of your friends that you cool with and you see this type of violation go down, the payback can be extremely dangerous, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, like, and then you have people in the community like, oh, but what did my child do to deserve this? So I have a background working with average youth. Um, I used to work at a company called Boys Town. Um, a non-secure detention home. It was my job to pretty much transport uh, youth to all five family courts in the city. I also went to school with them. I also uh, went to medical appointments with them in Crossroads, which is a secure facility. So I worked with them on a day-to-day basis. The way they acted, you know, it's something different than, you know, there's no documentary or any movie that can kind of show you how youth act uh, in these homes, in these close-to-home programs. But the moment you see the parents, the moment you see the parents, that's when you understand why they act the way they act. And when I looked at those 15 boys or 20 boys that was uh, uh, attacking a young lady on the floor, I sat there and thought about how many fathers, um, how, how many do have fathers in their lives. That's the first thing. Me playing uh, football, Springfield Rifles, basketball. You went to, you played for Skyhawks, Dr. J, right? Um, I think about how many coaches do these young men have in their lives, right? Who are their mentors? 
who they look up to, right? Our coaches, you know, with transit workers, right? Bus drivers, right? Sanitation workers, right? What male role model is in these kids' lives? That's the first thing I was thinking about when I was in seeing the video. Then I thought about, damn, there goes another image that we portray. There goes another image that we portray. There is a movement going on in the, in, 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 in the United States. And, you know, it is a culture that I believe that's kind of saying, like, black men aren't doing enough. Black men aren't stepping up. And it was a situation. There wasn't one boy that sat there and said, yo, chill, yo, right. chill, y'all wilding. We wilding out, yeah. It wasn't none of that. It wasn't nobody coming down the block, maybe somebody from the corner store. You, We know there was people that seen it. Oh, yeah. It was no, it was none of that situation. And how do you talk to any black woman and say, yeah, you know, black men stick up for us, stick up for us? And it says we, we gotta get back to community policing. Community taking responsibility for that what's cold. going on in our yep. Code. yep. Absolutely. Right? But because games and shambles. If I'm outside and they doing that, like I've gotten to a point now where if I'm driving and I see two, like I remember seeing uh like four boys on my block fighting while they appeared to be fighting. Like one of them was like yelling refused in pain and people turned around and started recording. I jumped out the car like, yo, what are y'all doing? And then it turns out that they was playing and like, I grabbed one of them up. I'm like, do you understand that the way you're acting is the way that people are going to portray? They're going to look at all of us because of this. Yep. Right. I already purposely, right. Like I, I do house calls. I already purposely do not put on a shirt, tie or a white coat when I go into people's homes, right? And it's specifically to be like, I need you to understand that although I look like the people in communities that you would otherwise grab your purse and run from, a lot of us, the majority of us, look like this and are doing very positive things in the community, right? And I'm and, and we have to get these younger kids to understand this. Like, you need to understand that people are going to judge the rest of us from your behavior. I understand that you're a kid and you should be allowed to do kid things, Right, but putting your hands on a female, twenty of y'all is not one of those things that should be. Doing. Not it, and you know we always speak from the block to the boardroom, and um, you know just 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 to bring it back, in in, in from a block perspective, and I, I've had this sentiment for a while, you know Jay, I'm sure you can relate. Was, Gen Z man, your, your code is broken, man. The, the game, <laughs> the game is in shambles, me. Like y'all, I'm be real with you, and. You know, podcasts, my coworkers, I'm not going to talk too much, but, you know, check the resume, man. You know my body. Like, this ain't it. This ain't this ain't the tough, like, this, this is not it. As I said, like, if one of my female cousins had an incident and it needed to be dealt with and it involved other women, women were going to handle that issue. We was going to speak to homegirls that rolled with us or that we was cool with, and they was going to handle that issue. But it doesn't matter. There's no, I can't think of a situation. There's no situation where, as a teenage male, men were going to get it rocking with a female or with females. Never. 
crazy. It's just crazy. It, it just doesn't it logic. You, you, you got to get you. Listen, young young brothers, that's you know, listen. You don't got no code, brother. You don't got no code. You don't got no. You don't got no backbone. I don't know if it's the parents. I don't know if it's the. But you, you got to realign your focus, and you got you got to know what you're even riding for. I don't even think a lot of y'all know what you ride for, what you stand for. You know, but some kind of male figure. You can see a lot of situations where women just aren't surrounding boys around men. Yeah, around strong men at that. Real men, real men at that. Yeah, well, yeah, right. Yeah, and we're not making excuses. We're just saying that this can't be done by by yourself. Right. Right. And that's why, you know, we're on fraternities, right? You know, and, and why it's so important to do the work that we do in the community. Because th- this type of situation, it's just, when I seen that video, bro, Yeah. I just was like, damn. It hurt. Like. It hurt. And now what, what does that sister go through? What does that sister, you know, what kind of traumatic situation does she go through? You know, does she go, does she grow up loving black men? You know? Does she grow up loving black men? Does she grow up saying, you know, black men hold me down? You know, so I I, I really I really hope there's not another re- retaliation. But, you know, I know that one thing, that was my daughter. But that was my sister. Uh, something's going to happen by any means. And, you know, it's funny. I was having, I was having this conversation with one of my good friends. Happen. Our fellow Binghamton University alumnus, and we was talking about it from that perspective, because uh, you know, Doctor J, we're not in your 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 um your your group yet of fatherhood, but we was even discussing that. He was like, "Yeah, I was looking at, I was wondering if that was my daughter, how would I react?" And we were talking about it, and he was like, "You know, I just had to ask somebody else who's similar to me in upbringing and background, because I'm wondering, am I wilding out for feeling like I need to react with some kind of violence?" And I'm gonna be totally honest. I'm gonna be totally honest with y'all. I was like, bro, I don't see nothing wrong with it. Because the way I grew up, at least with stuff coming stuff with family, internal, ain't nobody going to relegate family. We'll relegate that ourselves. So Jay could be my brother, could be my cousin. Jay could be drunk in the club. And Jay, we know you don't drink. But Jay could be drunk in the club. Jay could be doing a myriad of foolishness. Knock some dude, ball out his hand, whatever, whatever. It's Jay's fault. But that ain't, we going to ride out. You ain't just going to beat Jay up in the club. We going to handle that. And then when we get back home, we'll talk about it like, Jay, what's wrong with you, man? What you pulling us in a situation for? But in, in in public, when we out, that's my blood. And, and you can't, we'll relegate him. You're not going to relegate him. So same thing. Whether that young girl is a part of something bigger and she's in the wrong and this is a retaliation, if I was her dad, I'll get to the bottom of that. I'll figure out what that's about. By any means necessary. But in the meantime... Y'all 2022, however many of you was you young boys, it ain't your job to relegate my daughter. And y'all gonna get it. And that's just real. That's real talk.
Oh, I met a girl this morning And she was beauty to my eyes I ask her where she from, she tell me in the topics She asked me what's my name, I tell her I am Connie And I said, girl, tell me what's your name And she tell me that her name is Jamaica And I said, smile, girl, smile Smile for me, Jamaica And I said, smile, girl, smile Oh, Lord, smile for me People, people, let me talk straight one time. We know a certain Yankee boy and I tell me, say, me don't know them kind of tune, yeah. Like, say, me don't know that. We're not even going into things. We're not even go. Bro, that's chronics. That's new music, bro. That's, come on, man. I, I, grew up, I grew up in music, bro. You know that. I grew up in reggae music. Big up my father, man. Was well, yeah, that I was in the backyard playing when I was on. Come on, man. I was on the streets listening to Come that. on, man. But we wanted to smooth out the vibe a little bit and, you know, pick up the energy because our last two conversations, the uh, crux of the podcast, um, naturally so moved us, all three of us here, very emotionally. So as we take it home to the final section of this podcast, we want to bring to the forefront our guests, talk more about who he is, what he's involved with. And a very up, a very important upcoming election um, in the borough of Queens that we would like to provide some insight and some knowledge to, because that's what we aim to do here from the block to the boardroom, give you everything um, that you need to know from the block to the boardroom. So with no further ado, I would like to hand the mic over to my boy, Mr. James Johnson. Mr. Johnson, thank you for being here with us today. <laughs> Um, I'm James Johnson. Um, I'm the founder of Opportunities for Southeast Queens Millennials. This is an organization that was started to get millennials civically engaged and so they can know the basic ABCs of what's going on in the community. Right now, we have a housing crisis. We have an MTA crisis. But we have a young adult crisis that nobody's talking about. Young adults are not in these leading positions. We are not, in civic, we are not civically engaged enough to take on take over the community like we should. We have all the higher education. We have the experience, but we don't have the tools and the resources that that are in the community. And why is that? I know I know you've told me directly before, but let's let our listeners know a little bit why why that is. Um honestly speaking, I think it's uh I think it's called self-preservation. I think people don't tell us things on purpose. I think people, are, they get upset that we don't come to their meetings, but their meetings don't really appeal to us, right? So, you know, um, if somebody has an event and they says, oh, we should go to the community board or we should go to uh, uh, a Democratic club meeting or we should go to um, any kind of meeting and they say young people don't come, well, if they don't come, you just stop giving, giving out information to us. I think it's more important to meet millennials, Gen Z is where they at. So the first event we did was a launch party at Panache. Um, Chris, you came to that, right? Yes, I did. I did. Beautiful event. Beautiful event. Uh, it was great, man. Um, it was one of the uh, first times, not, not even, probably the first time, you know, I, I go to stuff like that in the city all the time, downtown Brooklyn after work. I don't think I've been to a professional networking event in the South Queens um, community before. Well, that's the thing. That's why they're so special because the majority of the events I do are in the right. So not 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 only do you have that makeup, that demographic of us attending, 
you're actually doing it in the community too, which also supports a local community business, black you know, business. black owned business at that. Like it, yeah. Panache is in Rosedale. Uh, shout out to Titus and Annette. Um, they give back to the community. Um, you know, they also own the Golden Cross on Hempstead. And uh, what's this over? Hempstead and Springfield. They own that Golden Quest now 15 years. So they give back. They, you know, they're great. And it's important, you know, Harlem does it, like you said, in the city, you know, does it. Brooklyn does it, right, Dr. J? Uh, why are we not doing this in Southeast Queens? So the first event I did as a young professional networking event was called Why Can't She Lead Too? Mm -hmm. And I did that at West Bar Lounge. It was in March, Women's History Month. Um, also, you know, this will be the third year doing the event. We changed the name from Why Can't She Lead Too to She Must Lead Too, mm. right? So it's pretty much a networking event, you know, after work networking event geared towards black young millennials, black millennials, and male-dominated industries that are doing their damn thing. Dope. You know, highlighting. And when you hear this conversation, I got a sister um, coming. She's a firefighter. Um, she the Reds, too. Okay. And... Delta Sigma Theta. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so... And she, um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there talking to her and I'm I'm asking questions. I'm like, hey, you know, do men have to list, lift the same thing? Do y'all lift the same thing men lift, you know, in the weight room? And, and she's like, yeah, we lift the same thing. So I said, y'all lift the same exact thing? I said, don't, don't men have to, like, carry guys, you know, carry people over their shoulders? She said, no, bro. They drag. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they drag. I didn't, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. You know, so my ignorance is more of learning. Right. Right. And when she's telling me this, I'm like, wait, so why are there not more women firefighters then? Right. If 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 you have yeah, if you have to lift the same. What's the what are you talking about? Jen? Jen, no. Okay, okay, okay. Um if if um if they lift the same, if they everybody drags people out to burn the buildings. Yo, what, what's the problem? It's a perception thing. Yes, the you know. It's a perception. Let me ask you this, brother. What what is what is uh? Hold on, before you even say that, I just want to, I just because this is my first time meeting this brother, uh, brother Johnson over here. I just want to say I'm I am proud of everything that you are doing. That's yeah, dope. absolutely, it's amazing. You are you came from this neighborhood. You are of it, right? And you are making a point to give back. And I don't think that that is highlighted enough, right? Like we just spent. 15, 20 minutes talking about some behavior that young black boys should not be doing. Right. We always skip over their behaviors or highlighting the times when brothers are behaving and doing exactly what they are. You know, so I definitely want to give you your kudos, give you your shout outs because what you're doing is nothing short of amazing. Even though I know for you, it's just, it's your responsibility. It's a habit of what you're supposed to do. Right. And I hope that what you're doing becomes infectious amongst other young black boys that are looking up to you some of your colleagues and some of your peers from not only just your neighborhood, but other neighborhoods. My bad, Trev. No, absolutely. No, nah, definitely. Definitely. James, you know, I would have gave you that, but we go back and we have these conversations on the railroad and commute to work every day. So, you know what I mean? This, this is what we do. You know, we, we have, you know, summaries of the, the super Tuesday, just the other day where, you know, we was going in. You know, I actually got to pick your political mind and my man, you know, Chris is really out here. You know, uh, acting like you don't know shit that's going on. He, knows, he knows. I, 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 I don't act like I don't know shit that's going I, I on. I just, I just don't want to be a politician. Yeah, but I'm fully yeah, aware. You know, I'm fully aware of politics. Trust me. I just don't want to be in the. You know. It, it, it was.
was very enlightening. It was dope. You know, right. but I was just, you know, sit there I'm like, yo, we on a, we have to on a five train, I think. I'm like, yo, how long you felt like this? He's like, mm. oh wow. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, like, you know, so I'm politically engaged. I'm yeah, just not on the so political it's, forefront. It's, There's it's, a difference. You're exactly. you're on the political forefront. Yeah. You know? I'm just politically engaged. So tell us, you know, honestly speaking, I'm I'm you know, if, did you guys see Malcolm X? Um, the documentary, I did. Oh, you told, the I documentary did. The Netflix, the Netflix documentary, right? Yeah, yeah. I did. Malcolm X, you said the yes. Thing? You know, when you watch the system being changed, and I'm doing things that are not very uh, um, in line, right? Because we're bringing in people that would never ever sit in these rooms. Mm-hmm. You know, I purposely go to individuals that I know would never. Go to a community board meeting. I purposely go to people I know that don't even know what a Democratic Club meeting is. Because everybody should at least get the information. What you do with it is on you, right? Absolutely. But they're not even giving us the information. Right. They're not. You know, and their excuse is, oh, millennials don't come to this event. Well, shit, this is what I'm going to do. The most recent event I did was uh, two Saturdays ago. Chris, you pulled up... um, uh, it's called um, Buy Back the Block. Um, and I bought NACA and I bought NHS um, Jamaica. These are housing um, nonprofits, pretty much. Uh, NACA is in 48 states. Please go look them up. They do great things. Um, I know about three to four 30 year olds that have houses through NACA. Shit, they get me a house? So, you know, they do shit. look up NACA. Like, seriously, they really, you know, they're really great. And it was the first time they actually worked together. And this was a Saturday. This is my probably one of my first Saturday events. Um, dealing with millennials, you know, you do co drives with the bros, you know, with the you know, my friends mm-hmm. like that. But this was like the first one I did on a Saturday, and we had 150 millennials pull up to hear about gentrification, to hear about redlining, to hear about what it is to to have a house. And there's this whole premise that we want affordable housing, bro. We, you know, we. Did you see Chris? You know, Chris Crib is, you know, it's, it's crazy out here in Cambria. You know, it's, it's a nice crib. It's a, good, it's a, it's a good, corner, good corner house. house you know? It's good real estate. So, so, so don't, don't sell me affordable housing <laughs> yeah. as an opportunity. I want to I want to live in my house. I want to live comfortably. Comfortably. I want to live in a place that I, I grew up at. So to see that many millennials on a Saturday, it's kind of flexing on, you know, I'm a curse, but it's kind of flexing on cats. You know, it's, it's flexing because what am I doing? What am I doing differently? That you're doing, you're not doing. What am I? What am I doing differently that you're not doing? I'm not doing anything else. I had a networking event, uh, our launch party, on a Thursday, and it said opportunities for Southeast Chris Millennials, and we had 230 people pull up. That's amazing. 39. It was packed in that room, right, Chris? Packed. Packed. Networking. Drinking. Everybody having a good time. Learning. It, Passing cards in Southeast Queens and in Rosedale. What are you doing different than I'm doing? They're just not engaged. They don't care. Well, I, I think it's more, and, and we kind of we have to the self preservation, right? The people that are in those positions that don't want to get the information, you know, that's on purpose, right? And then you can go into voter suppression, right? Absolutely. Voter suppression doesn't have to happen, you know, from Republicans. You know, it can happen right in your own community, right? You know, I want to sit in this position for. The next 30, 40 years, you have some people that's been in prison like that for 20, 30 years, yeah. right? And not getting the basic information, our resources out for you. 
Because if you if you if that you don't align with what they want to do and getting them reelected, they don't want you to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Right? Keeping like, the power structure going. That's it. So I like to. I want to change the power structure. I want to. I want to get a whole bunch of millennials. In, 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 and, and and let's and let's elaborate on that, brother. Because you you were telling me about a candidate. We have an election coming up. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. not too well publicized. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. My mother was even telling me she's not even familiar with the guy. She hasn't seen any advertisement or literature yet. Um, you know, senior citizen, and you know they really rely on that. You know, we may see it online and this that, but you know the older community uh, they really re- uh, rely on seeing something in the mail with a face. But educate us on this Queensboro president election we have coming up. When is it? Um, how did we get to this point where we have an election taking place in the month of March? I think that's part of the reason why a lot of people aren't familiar. And who was running? And tell us a little bit about it. So here's the thing. Um, first, I mean, you know, that's not good that your mother, who I'm assuming is a triple prime voter, mm-hmm. meaning that they yep. vote all the time. Election, she doesn't miss right? an election. Nope. And that's not a good thing that if you say that he hasn't got, we haven't got any information to her yet about the election. Well, not, not, not. She's aware of the election. She's, aware of election. she's not aware she's of brother. the candidate of the Donald, brother running. Donald, yep. Councilman, Councilman Donald Richards. How to, it's hard to call him Councilman Donald Richards. He's thirty six. You know, you know. He went to Jamaica High School. He grew up right here in Southeast Queens. Um, uh, you know that tribal church over there on Linden Boulevard. Yep, that's his home church. Um, you know, over there on uh, over there on Linden and Merrick. Okay, yeah, okay. So he's he's from you know. Yeah. He's from the hood. Um, he's been. You know, he's gotten $21 million, and I was telling uh, Jay about that, Dr. Jay about that. Um, he's given $21 million of his capital funding to his schools in his district. Okay. So capital funding can be, you know, improving the schools. It can be, you know, building a new science lab. It could, you know, $21 million. Right, right. right. So the borough president race happened, and me. I'm bouncing to the borough president yep. race now. So Melinda Katz was the queen was the was the original borough president, right? Now she ran for Queen's DA, district attorney office. She won. So that's why it's a special election um in the city of in Queens. So March 24th is the election. Borough president race is wide open right now. Councilman Donald Richards, he's 36 years old. He'll be the first black man to ever ever, ever be Queensborough president. He's running on the post? No, there's um there's a few candidates that's um that's out there. From other parties or from other from other, no, from other areas in the in, in, in the in the in the in Queens, in the borough of Queens. But what party are they a part of? The, the Democrats. Oh, okay, got you. So he's not okay. Yeah, so the Democrats. Um, so this election, what date is it? March twenty fourth. That's a Tuesday? Tuesday, March twenty fourth? Mm-hmm. And is this election for him to win the Democratic nomination Democratic. or is it Okay, so this is not for all out borough president. This is for let's be let's make our listeners know this is this is the primary. Got it. Right. So, um, it's it's very important to have somebody from your area to get in this position because for so long we haven't had the opportunities and resources to kind of uh, improve our schools, improve our parks, you know. And I feel Donovan can do it. He's been doing it already. Um, just a brief story talking about one of the precincts, right? Right. But one of the precincts is one of the largest precincts in the city by far. What, in terms of uh, geographic mass yes, that it covers. One of the precincts covers all the way to Glendale, the Burroughs, all the way to Rosedale. Glen Oaks, yeah. yeah all the way to Rosedale. Right? Yeah. So 
think about how large that is. It's a huge landmass, yeah. Huge, right? So Donovan was advocating for that. Way. We need a new precinct. So 116th precinct, he's actually having the 116th precinct going to be built um, probably about two or three years. So that kind of cuts down that landmass, right? Right. Um, affordable housing, he's, he's actually advocated and made sure that he has over 2,000 affordable housing units in, uh, in the Rockaways. You know, which is huge, right? Because in the Rockaways, you know, it's it's a housing is an issue, and that uh, absolutely affordable housing, absolutely affordable um, for the community. So, um, Donovan is a guy, man. He's a great guy. I like him a lot. Um, he's taught me a lot, you know. And I want to definitely make sure we know that the Queensboro race is on the twenty fourth. Go out and vote. And I want to say this also. When we don't vote, we don't exist. Absolutely. You know, when we don't vote, we don't exist. What does that mean exactly? If I'm an elected official, Chris, and you don't vote, I don't ever have to pander to you. Right. Ever. You don't exist. Like, you you absolutely don't exist, right? And I think it's important that there are so many millennials that don't exist in these local elected elections, local elections, because they're only paying attention to the Congress, right? So it's important that we get millennials out to vote, 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 vote. Research. It takes two seconds to Google something about an elected, elected official. I think I've seen you plenty of things about that. Yeah. Um, even today, right? You know, see some, some, some articles, you know, things that he's done. Yep. Um, it takes two seconds. He's on Instagram, he's on Facebook. But more importantly, um, listen, stay in touch with me. Uh, yeah, please. I was about to ask you if you could plug it in. Yeah. I know it's on Instagram. Opportunities for Southeast Queens Millennials is the is the is our organization's name. Um, my website will be going up live up next week. We're on Facebook, we're on, we're on Instagram. We're on What's Facebook. the IG handle, bro? IG O F S E Q M O F S E Q M. Opportunities for Southeast Queens Millennials. Real dope. All right. So please keep in touch. Please let me know what you need. I hope I can come in here. Again, and give you know some more political updates and you know, the special elections and all things of that nature that's, that's popping up soon, you know. And um, and brother, we we just want to give you your flowers while you can still smell them, you know. Like like Dr. J said, I mean, I think part of the reason why we got so cool, um, because you know I care a lot about this community and I I do a lot of you know things throughout the city in general for the culture, but you're really dedicated to the particular community to the neighborhood. And I think you even helped me realize that too. Not to say that I haven't been dedicated to the black, but I think I've more so, it's been New York City on the whole, spread a little bit here, but you're really in the trenches for Southeast Queens. Gentrification is coming, bro. Yeah, I see it. Gentrification is coming. You know? It's coming. It, it you look at downtown Jamaica, all of that. The largest the largest campaign, the longest campaign, mm-hmm. is not the Queensboro race, it's not the presidential race, it's not a... City council or Congress race, it's I'll buy your house for for cash. Right, right. I will buy your house for cash. That's a long. That's the longest campaign. Yep. Ever. Yep. I get it right here. This 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 house that we're in right now. We get it at we get it at least once a week. Once buy your house week. out all cash. Think about, think about what kind of operation you have to run, Doctor J, to do this consistently. To multiple units, multiple residential all homes. Over a black community, you gotta have canvases. You gotta have people that's dedicated. Right. You gotta have literature. You have to have more important. You have to have time yeah. to oh knock on somebody's door. And now I heard they're calling you. Yep. 
They're calling, hey, I'll buy your house for cash. And the seniors. It's attractive. You know, it, it's a very attractive I got $400, deal. $400,000 in a briefcase right now, but my house is worth six fifty. And a lot of seniors get kind of swindled with that as well. Right. Right. Because it's just a good, attractive deal for them. They could they can move somewhere. They're good. Put a little money away, and they will. And everything's everything's you know sealed. As soon as that house gets sold, they flip it. Mm -hmm. They raise that bad boy. Exactly, and that's how they profit. Yeah. James Johnson, opportunities for Southeast Queens millennials. We appreciate you, brother. Thank you, thank you for stopping by, brother. Appreciate you, Doctor J. We got some new music going on, man. We got some. We got some new. We got some new music going on, and we want to talk about the culture from the block to the boardroom. Real hot girl shit. Ah. It ain't always about what you like. Sometimes it's about what's right. I'd rather be a B-I-T-C-H Cause that's what you gon' call me when I'm trippin' anyway You know you can't control me, baby You need a real one in your life You bitches ain't gon' give it to you, right? I'd rather be a B-I-T-C-H Okay, 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 okay So that's uh, off the Sugar album New Megan Thee Stallion project that just dropped on Friday Dr. J There's a lot going on with uh making a stallion um from a legal from a um record contract perspective this past week let's unpack that a little bit for our listeners yeah all right so uh meg pretty much uh she went on instagram being upset saying that she was not allowed to uh drop any music because she signed with rock nation management uh she signed to carl Cooper, who's a former major league baseball player yep owns fifteen oh one entertainment Right. Um, and he pretty much, after she signed with Rock Nation Sports, he took her contract over to Jay Prince, uh, who's a, a a huge music figure out in the Midwest. Well, really out all over, but um, really down south, particularly Texas. Down south, Midwest. Um, and I'm sorry, Texas, not Midwest. And pretty much what ended up happening was that she said they weren't allowed to drop music. She went to court. She wanted she want to stay. And was allowed to drop this album, drop this project. Right. A lot of people have been talking about it, right? Like they're talking and saying she signed her contract. She should have known better. You know, like in her contract, it's certain things like they get, uh, I think something like 30% of all of her touring or any kind of bookings that she do. They also get 60% of her masters. Um, and then also with the split of everything, with them getting 60%, all of the fees, so studio, booking, makeup, dress, everything. All of those fees come out of her 40%. Right. You know, she was upset about it. So she pretty much wanted to say, hey, you know, I want to renegotiate my contract. They didn't really like that. And it's a huge thing. Uh, how do you feel about that before I even get into Um, I mean, it's interesting. I know for a fact, just even me dabbling in music over the years, um, the record record industry is, is shady. And the the um the the contract that artists get signed to, um, it's not the best. It's, it's, it's not the best, but I do want to add a little bit more perspective from a business level. Um, it A lot of it deals with leverage. Now, Megan is now in a position where she can ask to renegotiate because she has now gained leverage because she's been successful, right? Well, you know, some people would say that she hasn't really been successful yet. So how would you it, it, to that? that's 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 debatable. Um, I'm gonna stick to the the fact that she's been she now has leverage to because here's the thing. Let's say if she hasn't even reached the level of a claim that she's reached, you couldn't really negotiate the terms. Because here's the thing: a lot of people be like, "Oh, go independent, go independent." A lot of reason why people sign with um a distribution or or, or record label, 
um, you know, 1501 distributed her to 300 um, is because they're able to put up capital that you do not have. At the time, you have your talent and you are trying to go forward as an artist, but you don't have a level of um, capital. So at that point, they have the leverage. You have the good, but you don't have a way to pitch the good, to distribute the good, right? To get it out there. They have the capital and the know-how to do so. So, you know, for breaking down in business terms, that's why you signed the record deal. Because if you could have done it yourself independent, you would have. Right. So now she's at a point where she wants to um, where she wants to renegotiate and rightfully so, because I personally think I know some I personally think she's earned the right to do so. But I just want to I just want to, you know, be objective in a sense of like record contracts are very unfair, but do understand the gate, the gamble that goes into it. Most artists don't pop. You know, most artists don't pop. A lot of this money is put up forward. Most artists don't pop. And, you know, the ones that do, rightfully so, do deserve the right to, you know, change the terms. And shout out to, you know, Hove, J. Hove, Sean Carter, because he's often been the advocate for artists once they reach a certain level of um, acclaim to then um, have them get terms that are more so in their favor. So let me say this. I do not... A lot of people think that people sign to record labels because those record labels are going to do a bunch of things for them, right? I think a lot of people who sign record labels who come from impoverished communities are signing it just because they're hoping or because you wave a large wad of cash in front of them, right? So if you are going to wave a large wad of cash in front of somebody that doesn't have no money, Right, and it could be a small amount. It could be twenty thousand, twenty-five thousand, thirty thousand. But somebody who's never seen three thousand dollars cash in front of them, they're going to take that twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars, right? And they're going to take it because they're like, "Oh, you're giving me this with the promise of more." So let me go ahead and just take this, right? And I'm also tired of people saying because there's there's this whole like narrative that oh, there's too much information out there for people not to know that you shouldn't be getting jerked. Right? Yeah, that's <laughs> there's, there's, there's too much information out there for you not to know that Come you on. shouldn't be keeping your masters. Are you kidding me? There's a bunch of information out there on guns, people still getting shot. There's a lot of information about student loans and housing loans, and people still sign bad loans. Yeah, right? that's not it's, it's, it's not accurate. And it's because the majority of us do not learn from self-knowledge, right? They don't learn from going in on self, they learn from other people teaching them. And we are not actually teaching these people. Right. Going into these neighborhoods of all these people and doing it. And then you know, you constantly get stuck in this. But shout out to Make the Stallion, man. Um, I didn't get a chance to go through the project yet, but I do feel like she's gotten to a point where she deserves to renegotiate her contract. Jay, I know, you know, we spoke about Pop Smoke earlier, 50 Cent and uh, Stephen Victor, his former manager, uh, Pop Smoke's former manager, co-signed and, and verified. He's going to finish uh, executive producing his album. Yeah, he's gonna. I think it's. I think it's. The, well, first shout out to Pop Smoke and the yep. The procession that they had for him was dope, amazing. Were you able to go? Nah, I had to teach. Okay. And there was no way I was going to get to Canarsie. I can't get to Canarsie to LIU in under forty five minutes when there is no traffic. When there is no, yeah, because it's so, two completely ends of Brooklyn. Yeah, but it was dope. I had um my kid who um who died, his father who's always around us. He went um he joined. They actually put Pop Smoke mural 
up next to my kid who died in the East 82nd in Flatland. And he was a former Skyhawks player? No, he was a Dope. former Skyhawks as well. So, you know, shout out to him. I'm, I'm interested in hearing the album. I think 50 has a good musical ear. Yeah, yeah. So it can match. Dope. Um, I didn't get a chance to listen to the project yet. Um, Not really a kind of project that I would jump to, but, you know, he's very good in his demographic. Very good amongst Gen Z. Lil Uzi Vert. Streaming numbers. 47.7 million streams in a partial day on Spotify. Because his album didn't even drop for the full day. It came out like later. Um, earns the third biggest debut for any album so far this year. So, you know, shout out Little Uzi Vert. Very successful amongst his demographic, amongst his age group. Um, kills it every time on the charts. Album I wanted to speak about, which a couple people may have um, overlooked. New Jadakiss album. I enjoyed it. I heard it. Um, I liked it. I was happy because I felt very disappointed in the Freddie versus Jason album. Yes, agreed. I like, agreed. I felt like it was one of those albums where Fab was in studio and Jada Kiss was just sending verses over. Right. Play, right. Let me just email you this verse. Um, I had wanted the Freddie versus Jason album to come out similar to the David album, which was the Dave East and Styles P. Yes. Version. Well, you could tell they're in the studio together and it's a collaboration. Yes. So it was good to hear um, Jada like that because I did get to hear it. Um, heard Megley Sire album. It got better the second time I heard that one. Yeah, nah, Jada albums though. I mean, you know, I just feel like where we're in a time right now where a lot of content is just it's quick bites, it's microwavable, right? You eat it, you microwave it, you throw it away. Um, the content on there, you, I feel like you could pick it up months from now, a year later, and still enjoy it. Jada sounded real good on those hooks too. I guess maybe he'd been listening to his son's music or what, but he's uh. Yeah, he's in tune. He got a he got a nice little melody patch he didn't have before, but definitely uh check that out. Uh Angels getting pedicured with him and two chains is dope. Keep it 100, very real track. It's dope. Good, good to Yes. Good to see an artist who's been around for so long. You know, like you said, I did real songs with big, you know, still going. Shout out Jada. All right. So this week's hood scripture comes from the book of 2014, Forest Hill Drive. By the good Reverend J. Cole. Uh, chapter Love Yours. So here we go. For what's money without happiness? Or hard times without the people you love? Though I'm not sure what's about to happen next, I ask for strength from the Lord up above. Because I've been strong so far, but I can feel my, group lo my grip loosening. Quick, do something before you lose it for good. Get it back and use it for good. And touch the people how you did like before. I'm tired of living with demons because they always inviting more. Think being broke was better. Now I don't mean that phrase with no disrespect to all my brothers out here living in debt, cashing minimum checks, turn on the TV and see a brother's Rolex and fantasize about a life with no stress. I mean this shit sincerely. And, and that's a brother who was once in your shoes, living with nothing to lose. I hope one day you hear me. Always going to be a bigger house somewhere, but brother, feel me. Long as the people in that motherfucker love you dearly. Always going to be a whip that's better than the one you got. Always going to be some clothes that's fresher than the ones you rock. Always going to be a, a chick that's better out there on them tours, but you ain't never going to be happy till you love yours. No such thing as a life that's better than yours. Dope, dope, dope. From the block to the boardroom, episode three, y'all. See y'all next time. Trapping Dr. J. You already.